0: She's a retired police officer with the NYPD. During her career, she experienced multiple levels of violence and trauma, in addition to deaths by suicide of her brother and sister law enforcement officers, which had a huge impact on her and her mission in life. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John. The letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Joining us from New York City area, we have retired NYPD police officer, Robin Canariato. She's also big with an organization called Talk To Me Post Tour Processing. Their website is ttmpt.com. Robin, first of all, thank you so much for your service. Secondly, thanks for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated.
1: Jay, I'm very grateful to have this opportunity. You're awesome, and I thank you for having me on your show.
0: Well, it's a pleasure having you here. And by the way, uh, before I go into my stories of the NYPD, how long were you on the job from what years to what year?
1: So I came on in 1986 and I retired in 1993. So you're what we call
0: in Baltimore a rookie because I started in 1980. (laughs) I'm a dinosaur. I
1: was uh, was a New York City probation officer prior to that.
0: Oh, good for you. So you you had experience on both sides of it.
1: Yes, I did.
0: Yes, I did. A lot of people Mm -hmm. would go from probation, parole and say, I've had enough of this. Social work is another one. Emergency room nurses, firefighters and say, there's no way I'm going into police work because they see what happens. You made a conscious decision to become a police officer in spite of. Tell us about that.
1: Um, So I'm also a licensed clinical social worker, but um, yes, I did make a decision to become a police officer. So having worked in the criminal justice field, I decided that the biggest contribution I would be able to make would be as an NYPD officer. Um, It was like a calling actually.
0: And it was a calling for me as well. Uh, How many years did you do in probation and parole before you went into the police department?
1: I had a total of ten years of service cumulatively with the NYPD and then city probation. Um, so I did approximately two and a half with probation.
0: Okay, we're not even going to touch the whole licensed social worker part, and I'm I'm saying that jokingly. Mm-hmm. I thank God that I got hooked up with people that were social workers, that were therapists, that were trained in mental health and resilience, especially when it came to trauma, because most of those clinicians don't really understand it. And they, those people really helped save my life. Oh, that's awesome. That's
1: wonderful, yes. There are methods of therapy, processing therapy, EMDR, and brain spotting developed by David Grant, who happens to be a friend, and he's on our board. Um, but these are ways that we work with patients that have experienced significant traumas like police officers do. Very, very helpful. Very good that you have some comprehension of this.
0: When you say trauma is a police officer's experience, you went through some of that yourself on the job, didn't you?
1: Yes, every police officer absolutely is exposed to trauma.
0: I don't know how to explain it to people, to lay people. I can tell you this. I am very sensitive when it comes to any kind of violence any kind of loud noises too many people all those sorts of things and I'm far better than I used to be I sleep well I eat well I don't have anger outbursts I don't have any of that stuff that was such a problem for so long but I know what caused mine. It was exposure to lots of violence. We had shootings almost every day. We had murders at least once a week in my district. We had robberies. We had assaults. You name it. And it, it was like it was like nonstop. Can you relate to any of that?
1: So my first patrol assignment was Midtown South. They call it the busiest precinct in the world. And... I remember turning on the police radio and the dispatcher saying, we're 86 jobs backed up in your sector. And when she rattled them off, I thought to myself, what did I sign up for? But basically, when you're a New York City police officer and you're assigned to a command like Midtown South, you see it all. There's not a piece that you miss.
0: No, so we I handled everything. Days- Just like you, yeah. we handled everything. And I, I can recall days, being a young policeman, thinking I knew what was going on, thinking I knew what I signed up for, thinking I was well-trained, and I was. But we'd have 10, 15 calls. And literally, we would go eight hours and never stop and never have lunch. As a matter of fact, Robin, I see pictures of cops having lunch together. I'm thinking, where do they work? We never had that option.
1: We never had lunch either, Jay. So that I can't relate to. (laughs)
0: Um, And never mind having time for selfie photos and videos. We didn't have time for that nonsense either.
1: No, none of that. So it's a different time in policing, I think. Um, We worked constantly. We worked overtime. We worked days and nights, and sometimes we didn't go home for a couple of days. Um, You know, it's really incredible to be an NYPD officer because you're able to make a real difference in the world and society as a whole. Um, You get to help people along the way, too. I'm sure you could relate to that.
0: A lot of people think it's corny, and a lot of people don't believe it. The protect and serve part. I was. I became a. I wanted to be a priest first, and then I realized that that I didn't have that calling, and police work was right after that. But I wanted to be a service to my fellow man, and I really didn't understand what that meant. I thought it meant. You know, the Norman Rockwell photos, the the drawings of the, the runaway mm-hmm. kid having lunch, talking at the counter. And yes, there were moments like that, but they were few and far between.
1: Yes, I agree with you. So if you would show up to one of the um, city hotels, you know, where they were housing families that were in crisis instead of um, ch- uh, tourists, you would be called there for something horrific, you know, for stabbing or for. Um, in the school or something like that, but while you were there, you'd look in the eyes of the kids and the youths that were there, and they would kind of follow you outside and just look at you in awe of what it was like to be in a uniform like that. So some of those experiences were very, very special. You know, you get to see that later on, you come upon people that you meet in the beginning of your career, and then they're standing next to you in a uniform. Those are very special moments.
0: Yeah, those were nice. I, I, I tell people one of the hardest things for me, and I'm sure you went through some of this as well, was getting to know young children when we had some downtime, when they were 10, 11 years old, and then being on scene when they were 15, 16, and they're taking their last breaths because they were shot to death by the drug dealer that they were selling for, because they came up short in account one too many times.
1: Yeah, I relate to that. Um, particularly back in the day when I worked in the town south um, it gets trouble, very sadly so it is and, yeah. I, 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 mm-hmm.
0: I, and I don't want to beat a, a dead horse but quite often in, in cities like Baltimore New York City and uh, we used to go to New York City quite a bit when I was a kid visiting relatives And this was in the 70s and 80s, and it was the bad days. We were told not to ride in the subway. We were told to stay away from Times Square. All those places you didn't go near because it was ultra-violent. But a lot of times, young people, they're taking their last breaths. The last person they see is the face of a police officer. And that person, that police officer, is trying to get them to hang on a little bit longer Uh, some of it in vain, but those things take a toll. This is the Law Enforced Today Show. Return to our conversation with Robin Canariato in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on law enforcement today. That's right, you can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find a Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu, or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return a conversation with retired NYPD police officer Robin Canariato, she is, in addition to being retired NYPD, she is also one of the movers and shakers from Talk To Me post-tour processing. Their website is ttmpt.com, and we'll tell you why it's so important in just a little bit. Robin, looking back in your career, it's obvious you've been through the ringer. Uh, you can kind of tell. And I'm to this day, I don't like talking about a lot of things, especially people who don't understand, so I get rather tight-mouthed about it. And here's the reason why. Number one, stupid questions. Number two, some of these things pop up into my memory when I least want them to, and they're not invited, they're not welcome, and it takes a while to get back down. There's things I know to do to be okay. Uh, But I'm definitely, and I say this jokingly with many of my guests, I'm damaged goods, but I'm okay with that. It kind of comes with the territory. Would that be your assessment of being a police officer, that you get kind of dinged up emotionally and mentally?
1: I think that's my assessment of... All police officers, because what you see in one tour, most civilians don't see in their lifetime. Just one shift changes your life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell people, and I say it all the time, I cried many times in a patrol car. We mm-hmm. We're we were single uh, police officers in a patrol car, but never in public. And it was, it just never stopped. You never had a chance to go the downtime. And we'll talk about why that's important in a moment. Looking back on your career, is there one incident that you are capable of talking about that really had a profound effect on you?
1: Jay, there are so many, but I'll share one with you that comes to mind immediately. So, it was an average day on patrol. My partner had taken the day off, and I had a fill-in partner. And we had the patrol car just stopped. We were uh, chatting with um, a passerby, you know, who was asking us questions. And then along came somebody else and was a very well-dressed businessman, quite distinguished and lovely. And he needed directions to somewhere we had never heard of. It was in the confines of the precinct. So we went on the radio and we asked the dispatcher to provide the directions. And she gave them to us. And we thought, well, didn't even know that existed in this precinct. It was really unbelievable to us. But anyway... Um, You know, we continue to answer assignments, and over the radio comes, um, cries for help, uh, assault and uh, violent assault in progress. Uh, who's the first unit that could get to this location? And what do we hear? We hear this address that we had never heard of before. We were just given directions to. So we get we get over to this uh, address and from outside we can hear screaming and banging and this and that. But there was a wrought iron gate that um, protected this particular building. So we had to get over the gate and gain access and, you know, we had to break a window to go in. Um, anyway. We head back up there pretty quickly behind us, but we got into the premises and we saw um, blood and we saw uh, clothing. It was in disarray. And as we continued to go through this premise, um, we saw the garb, the the, um, clothing that the man who had asked us directions was wearing and was just pretty distinguished, uh, distinct, so you know, I know I thought to myself, it can't be, it can't possibly be that man. But anyway, as we realized it was the same address and we continued throughout the house, we found this bit beaten, so badly um, woman. And in fact, it was the man who had asked for directions to us. He had gone there and assaulted uh, someone he had a relationship with, but so badly. I mean, it was something we really hadn't seen before. Um Anyway, it was a, it was a um I guess it was a, a wake-up call to policing like I hadn't had previously because how this person appeared and how they actually were were completely different. Yeah. You know, we wound up arresting him, but I played that in my mind. I can't tell you for how long because You know, I mean, we sent him there, right? He asked us for directions. And uh, we just had really some real guilt about this uh, one particular experience. But the reality that it gave to us as cops was, you know what? You just have to look at everybody as though, you know, they're capable of anything.
0: What's the old saying? We we were taught early on complacency kills. And it's it's almost always the person you least expect that's going to be the most violent.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I have a friend that put someone in a radio car to take a report from them because it was pouring rain. And it was one of the things we were told. You know, never put anybody in the back of the car, right? Unless never, ever,
0: car. ever, 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 ever.
1: And she, she wound up getting stabbed. Yeah, it was terrible. So yeah, you learn lessons in your police career that you couldn't learn from any other part of life.
0: One of the things that I, I believe is human nature, and... Policing certainly changed my outlook on things that I look at people differently than I did when I was 20 before I went on a job. And people that are well-dressed, they seem to be put together. You think, all right, they got it going on. There's no threat. There's no harm. There's no foul. I can help that person out. Were you shocked? And I know the answer is obvious. Were you shocked that this wound up being a very violent perpetrator?
1: I was shocked, Jay, I have to tell you that, you know, having even worked in law enforcement prior to being a cop and being a cop for a bit, I was shocked. I mean, how could you not be shocked? How could you not be shocked? This was a kind, um, you know, soft-spoken gentleman that we had met just a short time before. I was shocked.
0: And the last thing, the irony is not lost on I me mean, with you not knowing the location and then getting a call. Shortly afterwards, were that same location, and it being the guy you gave directions to, there had to be, and you mentioned it, a lot of guilt that you directed this guy to where he committed the crime.
1: Absolutely, I mean, there was nothing we could do about it because we gave somebody directions. It was that simple. But it was just, it was stunning to see that this man had gone on to um, so severely assault, you know, his victim. We, we really were uh, stunned by it. Myself and my colleague, we were just stunned.
0: How did you overcome and process that feeling of guilt?
1: You know, actually, um, it's something that you just push down. And that's one of the problems with policing, right? You just, you play it in your own mind. You don't talk to your family about it. You don't talk about what the person looked like, how badly assaulted they were, or even what happened. Because cops just go out and they do the same thing over and over again. They police, they do their best, right? So really, I didn't talk to anybody about that incident.
0: We had a lot of things in common time period-wise. Uh, I was running my career at that point, but we had a saying in Baltimore, and they, they pronounce things differently. These use different lingo than NYPD does, but I remember the old-timers would say, suck it up, you're Baltimore police, and that's how you pronounce it. You got a job to do. Go do it. You can lick your wounds later on.
1: Absolutely. So the NYPD, they used to say, suck it up and say, you know what? You're not a man. It didn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Back then, there were so few women. But um, you wouldn't dare talk about this to anyone.
0: No, I didn't didn't even thought about the the, the being female aspect of it. Before we go to break, I got to say this. I, too, did not talk about a lot of things. Number one, because I didn't want my wife at the time to worry even more. Number two, as I said earlier, I didn't like, and I wound up getting short-tempered with people that asked a lot of questions. And number three, I really didn't want people to understand how violent and frightening things could really be, because it could happen to me. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with retired NYPD officer Robin Canariato. This is... The Law Enforcement Today Show, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. <music> of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. returning to our conversation with robin canariato retired nypd also one of the movers and shakers with talk to me post tour processing their website is ttmpt.com that's ttmpt.com and we'll explain why that's so important a little bit later on one of the things robin that drives me absolutely cuckoo is and there's many things by the way that do is i remember reading about police work from joseph wambaugh uh, his novels were, were so big when i was a, a teenager and and paraphrasing what he would say a lot was that police work is very psychologically damaging and that they even back in the 60s and 70s and probably even 50s they had a huge problem with law enforcement-related suicides and deaths by suicides. And people act like that's a current thing. It was a problem when I was a rookie cop. It was a problem before I came on the job. And it's still a problem now. And we don't seem to be making a lot of progress with it.
1: I agree with you, Jay. So um, it's said that approximately every 54 or 55 hours, the law enforcement officer takes their life. Just this week in the NYPD, a law enforcement officer went into his precinct and shot himself in the locker room. So sad. So
0: sad. It it happens. Uh, And I I just read an article about a a Canadian police officer who died by suicide at a gun range. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wish I could tell you I have the answers. I don't have the answers. I I know this, or I suspect this, for a lot of our law enforcement-related suicides, you have a, a... A series of things that happens. Post-traumatic stress disorder is an issue for many of these, not all. Substance abuse is a big issue with many of them as well, particularly alcohol. Then you have relationship problems and or disciplinary problems at work. And when they all collide, quite often the end result is suicide.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, more offices die by their own hand than they do in the line of duty every year. Most people don't know that, but that's a really sad statistic. Um So, you know, this year in the NYPD, they've had um, three suicides, I believe, and one and one suicide homicide of a retired officer. So it's not just when they're active, but also in retirement where they go on to feel so desperate because of the things that they've experienced in accordance with the other stresses that you've just mentioned.
0: Right. Uh, and I always say this, you know, it's when it gets quiet that the problems start for many people, myself included. And when I retire and you don't have the adrenaline going all the time, you don't have the hot calls all the time. At first, it seems like a relief, a relief, but then you wind up getting into depressive thinking. Things from the past, things from the future, worries, concerns, guilt, survivor's guilt, all that stuff can play a part.
1: Absolutely. So... I had an experience that was, again, life-changing for me. Um, I worked with a patrol partner who was a great cop. Um, You know, they handled every call as quickly as they were able to and ran to everything and just worked like a machine, like most of us did. And this particular officer had all the life stresses that you, you talked about, except for the alcoholism. They also had a pretty disabled child. And... You know, they were carrying a large load of their own, um, and at some point, um, you know, I learned that when I came to work one morning, the next morning after, I call it, um, you know, I learned that they had taken their life, and it was devastating to me. I, um, you know, I don't need to say that twice. It was so devastating. You know, you begin to think, what could I have done differently for them? Um, You know, why didn't I understand how? depressed they may have been. They hit it quite well. You know, they smiled every day. They made everyone else laugh. You know, you could think of um, famous people that have done that, like um, actors, you know, um, uh, like Robin Williams comes to mind, right? He made the whole world laugh and nobody understood that he was suffering. And cops hide it pretty well, too. So um, when this particular officer took their life, you know, I began to think. Well, you know what? I'm a professional. Like, what exists for cops? Like, what programs exist? What is there? What doesn't exist? More importantly, and because of my education, I was able to interview for units that um, would allow somebody with an education to come in and um, make a difference um, in things like officer wellness. So, way back in the 80s, um, I applied to a unit, and it was. Um, early warning, and it was um, it was a great unit. The captain there was a good you know, police um, professional, and what they did was they looked at performance of officers and they tried to figure out, you know, what was going on, like why the officers been accumulating um, negative attention because they had lost items uh, such as police caps or shields or, um, you know, some of their equipment, or why would they... um, receiving domestic complaints or civilian complaints and you know, they were doing their best to understand cops that stood out, if you will. And I interviewed for quite a few units, but I really wanted to go to that unit because I thought if I could help understand this as a social worker, maybe there would be a way to extend services to these cops. So, Anyway, um, because of what had happened with this particular police partner, I really had in mind, how do you the suicide rate down, you know? But I didn't say that to anyone at the right. time.
0: Well, was that, was, that was unspoken uh, for many, many years. Yeah. We didn't talk it about was, this. And they rushed they, they brushed it under the rug. It was an accidental shooting. It was an accident. It was this. It was that. And they ne- they rarely ever said it was a death by suicide
1: absolutely correct absolutely so this captain actually was personally keeping you know a pad of how many cops committed suicide informally and anyway I remember talking to him about it and being shocked you know that he was um he understood the concept of this is really what's going on but Anyway, I worked with a, um, a couple of guys that got recruited into the unit, and they're the same guys that I wound up developing the other program with talk to me poster processing that you've mentioned. Anyway, um, we went on to do a lot of outreach. We hit every command there was um, to the best of our ability. And we talked about, if you need help, please come forward. We, you know, we walk in the same shoes. We're cops like you are. And more importantly, if you see that your partner needs help, please get him to us. We really were on a crusade to catch cops before they would go on to hurt themselves or have some kind of demise. And much to our surprise, um, our efforts were really uh, appreciated. I think in the three-month period, we had something like 800 and, I don't know, 870-something calls, if I remember correctly. And we really were overwhelmed at some point. And, you know, they recruited more guys into the unit, and we wound up being the primary peer support for the NYPD. The unit then was early intervention. Um, So it was like a metamorphosis that took place, you know. We got to see that it was okay to tell cops you know, come forward. We created something called the line organization referral. So if they came in and said that their unions referred them or some paternal group, there was no formal record keeping about them being there. We could get them time off if they needed to take care of themselves. We could send them to therapists. We could send them to rehabs. And we became the hub for officer wellness and officer care. I mean, it was probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I absolutely loved it. I'm, we glad, developed it.
0: I'm glad you did this I, I gotta go back to something you said earlier and this should really ring a bell with people let i'm not sure what the number is let's say you had three or four people in your unit but you were overwhelmed you had more than 800 calls from officers who need assistance that's how bad a problem it was yes
1: it was a significant problem i mean it was great in that they came forward i mean you know, when I first started in the unit, there was something like slightly more than 200 officers being looked at, um, where they were looking at them as disciplinary problems, and then they recalibrated um, and allowed us to say, you know what, um, these guys probably have some up problems. Right.
0: We're we gonna take a to short break
1: and talk to them.
0: We are talking with Robin Canariato, retired NYPD. We have so much more to talk about on the Law Enforcement Today show. Including trauma, stress, how cop stress contributed to mental health issues and suicides, and what her mission has been since then. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. So much more heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at L.E.T. Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for L.E.T. Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, L.E.T. Radio Show.com. See you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Joining us, our special guest, Robin Canariato, retired NYPD officer, police officer. My name is John J. Wally, retired Baltimore police sergeant. I got to go back to this is something that you and I have known for a long time. And by the way, I've had many people on with the NYPD that have lost brothers and sisters to suicide. And there was a time, Robin, and I, I hate to say this on the radio, where I thought I was above that, and there must have been something about that person that was weak. Until I was crushed, and had a rug pulled out from under me, saying, "What happened? How did I get this bad? Because it wasn't supposed to happen to me."
1: Yes, so so many offices um, feel that way. They don't understand that you know it's okay to feel the way that they feel. They're having a normal reaction to all these abnormal happenings. It takes its toll, and they really should seek support and help. Um, so, you know, having the experience that I did with um, losing a partner to uh, suicide, a colleague to suicide, um, you know, was so life-changing that After I retired from the NYPD, um, significantly after, I contacted the two guys that were in the unit with me that I worked so closely with, the early intervention unit, the NYPD, and I said to them, you know, I watched a couple of police shootings on television, and it's apparent that the stress takes its toll physiologically on these cops. Um, It's really such a sad thing to see. Nobody ever rewinds a roll call. And they said, "What do you mean by that?" And I said, "Well, exactly what I said. You know, you go to roll call, you do all this work, and nobody ever stops and offers you an opportunity to rewind it. So I said to them, "Let's go out to all the commands in the NYPD and let's develop a program where they could talk to people about what they've experienced. And they said, "You know, you're crazy. There's over hundred you know commands, and how would we do this after every shift? <laughs> There's only three of us. And you know I said, well, why don't we do it virtually then?" So they said, well, how, what would you do? I said, well, we'll write a program that never existed. We'll write a program for peers, helping peers in a virtual platform. We'll attach security and we'll make it anonymous. And, you know, they laughed and said, well, how are we going to do this? I said, well, we're going to figure it out. And we did. So six years ago, Jay, we created Talk to Me to a Processing and we realized that because of the anonymity and the security, it's only cop to cop. Um, the peer-facilitated peer support is critical um, so that cops could open up and they could not feel weak as they do so. So in doing, um, you know, in, in taking this journey and providing this platform, we have succeeded in creating an anonymous virtual world, where trained peer facilitators help cops process out whatever it is that they want to talk about. As you mentioned, the stresses of domestic concerns, financial concerns, um, you know, alcoholism, drugs, whatever it is that they want to talk about or whatever they experience that particular day or any day on control.
0: We've gotten better as an industry uh, seeing the big things. It's like uh, avoiding the icebergs, you know, the ships, they see them coming Uh, for me and my, my experience and my opinion is, and you want to say about opinions, but my opinion is it's a daily grind that, that really crushes people. We, we seem to handle the big things better, the Sandy hooks, those sorts of things, which are so bad and so traumatic Mm -hmm. But the everyday grind, the domestic violence, uh, the people being killed in car accidents, the house fires, the the unexpected deaths, the homicides, all that, and the nonstop calls for service. Does your program really put a focus on that, or is it just look at everything as a whole?
1: No, we put a focus on, and so the groups are um, specific to what the officers want to speak about. So, if the officer wants to come in and talk about anything that you mentioned, they're able to. Um, they could talk about it collectively or singularly.
0: Well, that would it, it's help.
1: Actually, yeah, yeah. So
0: I, it's I'm actually, not cutting you off. Repeat that part. The difference between uh, the, the literally or figuratively.
1: So, they they literally can talk about anything specifically or or uh, cumulatively. They can come in and talk about problems they have with their families. They can come in and talk about things that they saw at the end of the shift. They could talk about whatever haunts them. They could talk about personal concerns or anything that they wish.
0: One of the things that, and I like the the figuratively part, because for many of us, myself included, logically, I know, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know I shouldn't react this way. That's craziness, all that stuff, but I can't stop it. And here's the problem, Robin. We are trained to solve other people's problems, and most most cops I know have tremendous willpower, myself included. However, trying to use the problem to solve the problem just made things worse.
1: Yes, yeah, so... Willpower, discipline, right, we come well equipped with that, absolutely, but whatever we see and we just keep stuffing down, eventually it comes and spills out, so how we treat that and what, what we do with it has to be significant, and how could we better deal with that? and by creating an environment where it's like in kinds where we understand each other right we understand each other jay i understand the things that you've said and i get pictures in my mind as you say them and that probably happens to you in any other copy remember jobs that you've handled
0: yeah I, I, I distinctly, the, the, the entire conversation, there's so many different things we could talk about, but one very quickly, I was a young police officer. I was maybe out of the academy six, seven months, it was a beautiful spring day, and I got called to be a backup for a man who doused himself with gasoline and was threatening suicide. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, Robin, I'm like 22. I, I, I don't know anything. What do I do? What's a, how do you handle this? I gotta hope it's a, a, a false alarm. I hope it's not for real, but it was for real, and the guy died, and he died in front of his family, and I was left thinking, "What do you do? I don't know what to say, where to begin."
1: Right. So, so when you see these horrific life events that most people could never imagine, let alone see in their lifetime, you have to uh, ad hoc immediately. It's like knee jerk. You've got to be able to deal with the situation at hand, the people that are affected by it. So, to be a police officer, you wear so many hats, don't
0: you, Jay? Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of that stuff, we just kind of pushed the aside. You said earlier, hey, compartmentalize it. Uh, I'm not going to deal with that today. I'll deal with tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns in 30 years, 40 years. and next thing you know, you're not sleeping well. Uh, we're getting close on time. So, I want to make sure we talk about Talk To Me post-tour processing. A little bit more about what that's about, your websites, how people get more information. Can they get help?
1: Thanks, Jay. What a pleasure this is to talk about. So Talk to Me Post-Tour Processing has a website, TTMPT, Thomas Thomas, Mary Paul Thomas dot com or dot org. And we're a 501C3 Nonprofit organization to, you know, we are self-funded um, currently. We're raising money in different ways um, now. We provided this around the nation to a significant number of law enforcement organizations, somewhere around 80. They loved it. And um, what we're doing is actually, we're patented. <laughs> we received a patent for our program. Um, so what we're doing now is handing out security cards so that NYPD officers can come in and join the groups, um, And we know that there are only officers joining those groups. And we will be able to grow this and stretch it across the nation once we receive better funding. But in the meantime, any officer that wants to come in that contacts us will figure out how to get a security card to them. Um, contact us on that website. There's an email address there. And um, we have a currently we have a partnership organization that we're working with Operation Warrior Shield. It's a veterans organization because we hope to bring this out to veterans as well as law enforcement officers. And Operation Warrior Shield allows us to give canine companion support dogs specifically to law enforcement officers that you know suffer really bad PTSD or have um, TBIs or for any reason they would benefit from the support. A canine, And they also help get law enforcement officers and military guys trained in transcendental meditation. Ed Schloman is the president of Operation Warrior Shield. He's an 80-year-old veteran who has a heart bigger than the sun and um, allows us to work hand-in-hand with him, the organizations, the partners. And so we could give out great resources to anybody who contacts us also. Mm-hmm. But we'd Your love to website, ed-
0: again, is T T M. PT.com and I'm sure fundraising is the other F word. So people please go there, make a donation. Robin, thanks so much for me, guest on the show. Thanks for your service. All appreciated.
1: Jay, thank you. God bless you forever and you're amazing.
0: I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is a nationally syndicated radio show, broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.